0: the ucap gang or at least jack must really be enjoying summer vacation cause it's taken longer than usual to get this edition of the podcast online hopefully it's worth the wait they talk about flying in the clouds what constitutes a good landing and the new meaning of one twenty one point five all this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 35, Zero Tree Fife.
1: Uh, my daughter, I signed her up last week at a local FBO for flying lessons. She takes her first lesson this coming Saturday. The Mighty Pavat This is the Mighty Pavat Talk Army. to me.
0: What is it? Aviation is like sex. You, you can never get all you want, but sometimes you get all you can take you're not kidding around, we might be able to talk about that. That might be an interesting
1: I'm not idea. Yet, shoot, shoot,
0: shoot us a note with the inventory of what's available.
1: All right. Yeah. Um. No, no problem. I'll do that. Uh, give me. Uh, I might just do it here while we're talking, actually. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to say, good morning, everyone,
0: and welcome to episode number 35 of Uncontrolled Airspace. Let me push the button here. I always forget to push the button. Uh, <laughs> welcome to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, okay,
0: well, this is just not starting out well. That,
1: that sounds uh, like trying to shoot an ILS coupled ILS. You know? Yeah, that's right. Which just goes to show <laughs> I you to why I'm not push.
0: an instrument-rated pilot. It's probably for the best. Uh, Uncontrolled airspace, the general aviation podcast. So we're all gathered here together after a fashion just, in the virtual the hangar. The uh, safety uh, is off. Recording this morning on uh, Thursday morning, June 28th. And... Uh, Gathered in the virtual hangar this morning, you're hearing uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is talking to us uh, from his home in Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor
1: to Avweb Biz. How you doing, Jeb? I'm well. This morning, Jack. I hope you are too, Dave. Good morning to you, and uh, obviously, good day, uh, night
0: uh, to all of our listeners. While you were away, uh, uh, caring to your last-minute preparations, there we uh, uh, Dave and I were talking about the fact about weather. I figured we'd get it out of the way before we started.
1: And uh, um, but uh, it's, it stays hot and humid here. Yeah, um, same here. Almost, Apparently, it's almost it's almost painful to be outside mid afternoon. Yeah, early afternoon. Uh, Apparently, it's, yeah. it's raining cats and dogs in Wichita. Well, we could use some of that, but uh, we had a, f- a couple of thunderstorms roll through yesterday afternoon, uh, sprinkles, but that was about it. Lightning, noise, yeah. that was about it. And reporting the
0: weather from Wichita, Kansas, is <laughs> Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kitplanes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing all right, except for the... <laughs> outside... Uh, we
2: are not as bad off as texas and we are grateful for that and our heart goes out to the folks down in texas where uh, big parts of the state have become expanded fishing holes and swimming pools uh it hadn't stopped raining here in wichita since tuesday night and not looking like it's going to stop. But it's been a good couple of days for instrument practice. I've heard a little bit of it uh because the uh, ceiling's comfortably high enough and the weather's comfortably bad enough to make an ILS a,
0: a real ILS. Hmm. Well, that's good, I guess. I, I'm. As I said, I'm not the instrument pilot, but uh, and when Jeb flew into the clouds, it was just wrong. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was just
1: it it was, being, in, being in the clouds, being in the clouds with me, or did I just do it badly? Sure, any of these. Uh, it, it, oh, I did it badly. Okay. It, it was it was really
0: cool. I have to tell you. I mean, wow. I, I you know, flying in amongst the clouds like that is just awesomely spectacular. Oh, it's um, it, it, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, being inside the eggshell. Yeah, and yeah. and I've always been appeal. You know, there's the kind of almost cliche you know idea of dragging a wing through a cloud, and it's always been an appealing idea to me. And uh, um, but I have to admit, when the moment of truth arrived, and 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 you and your autopilot just took us barreling straight into this puffy cumulus cloud or whatever it was, um, there was a moment of. Uh, yeah. Oh ah! Yeah, it's like, well, but how do we know what's on the other side? I don't know. Okay, I trust him, I trust him, I trust him. Anyways, it was fun. Yeah, It was I, fun. My,
1: my episode like that, I was, I was a fresh private pilot, and I was ferrying a 172 off on a Civil Air Patrol mission, and I'm about 15 miles out from the air destination airport, and there's this little rain shower that's moved between me and the airport, and... um uh, I duck under it, but the rain is uh, heavy enough that I lose the horizon uh-huh. momentarily. Um, for about ten seconds, it felt like you know ten years. Yeah, um, and I was like, oh well, you know, okay, that's not so bad. But that was that was that wasn't really a cloud. That was just reduced visibility. Right. Yeah, right. I I remember I
2: I picked up my daughter once at Kansas City International in uh, in, uh, the Cherokee we used to have, and I was not yet instrument rated, but we had decent weather, uneventful going up. Coming back, there were some rain squalls uh, the last 30 or 40 miles, none of which obscured the ground on the other side. So it was like after trying to dodge a couple of them and winding up, you know maneuvering way more than I wanted to I just started barreling through them and my daughter's going wow that's noisy wow that's fun
1: holy cow that was a big bump <laughs> <laughs> well my daughter um there's been times we'd be bouncing along in route somewhere and go through a couple of puffies and and you know I wouldn't call it turbulence but there was an adjustment to the smoothness of the ride and uh, she's like that was cool. Can we go back and do that again? Yeah. <laughs> I love when that my son, My son's sitting there, and he's like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Oh, uh, well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I'll do the, you know, like me and Gordon Baxter, I will eventually give in and, and get an IFR ticket, but – uh but, you I, I, see, the thing that one of the things that I find most appealing about flying is watching the ground. I, I just enjoy, you know, that scenery. And uh, um, I've always been fascinated by maps, even before I started flying. I love to just explore a map. And in some ways, flying for me is like exploring a map. And, one, uh,
1: one thing that, that kind of, I, I should get used to it, but it, it just kind of sets me off sometimes. I'll have a passenger who's not a pilot ask, well, where are we or what's the name of that town down there i'm like dude i don't know i don't really care i'm 229 nautical miles out of my destination yeah. i'm doing 160 knots and i don't know what's down there i'm not worried about that so um i i, I don't know uh, yeah. hey in the, got-
2: in the ultralight pilot and me e- even when i'm imc it's like where's the next airport Okay, there's one right over uh, there. Okay, where's the next airport? Because my brain, after so many years of flying on two cycle engines, is still conditioned to the idea that I better have an alternative as soon as the last alternative gets out of reach. Yeah, That's never gone away. Uh, and uh, so, it, you know, thank goodness for thank goodness for gps and moving maps because
0: they've made that so much easier oh, yeah. than it used to be yeah well i yeah. i've I, go ahead i was just going to say i mean of course that's great in a pinch i mean if you're if you're jammed up and need to know where you are that's a terrific tool but you know I love, it's like a puzzle figuring out where you are, you know, I'll go on, you know, on long flights where I'm just a passenger and I'll sit there with the, with the chart in my lap and kind of be comparing it with the ground and uh, saying, oh, that's that town. And that's, I love doing that. That, I love doing that.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, if you're flying, uh, if you, if you're flying VMC and at the right altitude, sometimes you can identify the town coming by underneath the wing by reading the name on the water tower. That's right. There you go. I love
0: places like that. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Before we move on, uh, let me just uh, remind everyone that we hope that in addition to listening to the podcast, uh, you will also visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website. There's all kinds of cool stuff there. There's uh, the show notes uh, with links for uh, many of the things we talk about on the podcast. The blog is there, which has a lot of interesting stories that uh, sometimes we don't get to talk about on the podcast. You can get our email address. If you want to send us some feedback, you can get the phone number for our listener line. If you want to give us an, a recorded audio comment, and uh, there's a place there to subscribe to the email reminder list if you want to uh, get an email every week when we post a new episode. And of course, the uh, latest addition to the, to the uh, website is the aviation calendar. We're actually starting to slowly get a trickle of uh, people sending in uh, listings for things to be added to the aviation calendar. So uh, I find I'm using it on a pretty regular basis just to kind of remind myself of what's coming up in the next couple weeks so uh, that's all at the uncontrolled uh, airspace.com website and we hope you'll take a look uh, from time to time
2: well, and a quick shout out to all the folks that are in Kansas or trying to get into Kansas from the short wing piper club that's having its national meeting up in Hutchinson Kansas this weekend <gasps> uh, was supposed to kick off was yesterday the uh, Wednesday the 25th wasn't it? no 27th Anyway, it's been it it's been up there, it goes through the week and they've just had uh abysmal weather. So yeah it's uh we're hoping it's not cut into their crowd tremendously because it has been squeak through weather. That is you can squeak through the over you know, under the overcast uh if you were comfortable flying at two thousand feet AGL and through the rain.
0: Yeah. One of the uh, subjects we've been having fun with over the uh, past months is uh, what we've sort of dubbed the off-field landing of the week, uh, where we talk about uh, some notable uh, uh, unscheduled landing at, uh, at a place acronym. not an airport. What's oh, that? Flat. What? The acronym is OFLATWA. OFLATWA, yeah, right. So, uh, listener Rick Carhart uh, from Braden Air Park uh, in Easton, Pennsylvania, uh, sent us in a suggestion. I I think he was kind of half-joking. I'm not sure. But uh, he sent us in a, 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 a link to a news story. About uh, a, a small plane, apparently a somewhat of a classic old plane. I'm not really familiar with this, but uh, that had had a, a, an emergency, uh, had an engine failure, I guess, and uh, landed in the trees. Um, this was in uh, or someplace in Virginia, and uh, he he said, "Does this count as as the off-field landing of the week?" And so that's that sparked a conversation on email throughout the week about what exactly is the definition for us of the off-field landing of the week. I have my opinion. I don't know what I. I in a larger sense, you know, pilots always joke about any landing you can walk away from is a good one. You know, but, I mean, it, is there anything to be said there? What 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 does constitute a good landing? You know,
1: being able to use the airplane again. Yeah. Well, that's a great landing. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think for our, for our purposes in in kind of defining what qualifies as off field landing of the week, I think we want to recognize, uh, you know, good talent or good or or luck or or something like that. Yeah, that, uh, and, that was always
0: it, my idea when it, I sort of invented yeah. this thing was that it, it, it was a...
1: G- metal or, um, uh, you know, blow a tire or something like that. Well, not to say that you couldn't have been done better given the cards you were dealt, but we're, we're looking for, for kind of a, a grabber here that says, you know, look, you know, these things do quit and uh, people don't die when it happens. Just to correct
2: one thing here, the, uh, the airplane went down in Pennsylvania. It had been purchased and not re-registered. And no bill of sale filed by yeah. the uh, by the owners.
0: The the story here, I think, is way paid, more interesting than the emergency paid, landing. It's uh, paid cash for this puppy and left in it,
2: and then a few weeks later, one of them, somebody, well, two guys were in it when they crashed it, and left the scene. What, yeah. What um What kind of
1: airplane was it? Well, it was a a oh. home built that I'm not familiar uh-huh. with. I see it here. Uh, yeah a PJ260 SR AeroSport according to this article.
2: Right. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm not yeah. sure how to categorize that because uh you know gen- in in general experimental aircraft are, are labeled by the uh by the builder that is the right. builder becomes the manufacturer of name. So uh I'm not sure how to decipher this. Uh PJ260 SR AeroSport is not one that I'm familiar with. Uh, apparently, it uh, it goes back into the 50s, and it was uh, one of a kind.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, it's
0: it's
1: kind open, of an intriguing open cockpit st- biplane. Uh huh. Is it a and biplane?
0: You can't quite make out two wings in the picture where it's kind of old. Paid paid,
1: he paid the previous owner twenty six thousand five hundred dollars in cash money on the spot,
0: and then declined to transfer the title for some kind of suspicious excuse. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, it kind of, you know, it, it it sort of screams out, you know, drug money, drug transaction of some sort. Yeah, um,
1: it does. Or or just joyriders. Um, said it was a re- it was a one of a kind airplane designed in the fifties. Yeah, and it was uh, a biplane with two seats and an open cockpit. That's really odd. Yeah. And and I can
2: see structure in the photograph that, you know, kind of supports the biplane contention. Yeah. Uh, So they paid a a
0: pretty good chunk of cash and went out of their way to keep it off the record and uh, disappeared when the thing crashed. And they
2: were located later.
0: It just seems like an odd aircraft, though, to purchase in order to run drugs. I don't know.
1: Well, it it does to me, too. The only thing that makes any any sense from... Although maybe they were as good
0: drug runners as they were pilots. I don't know. Well,
1: Well, that's what I kind of... Getting at is I wonder if it's you know just kind of maybe a backdoor flight instruction thing. Well, that in uh,
2: according to the story the, from the uh, nice folks at the Pocono Record, which is right. news and information from Northeast Pennsylvania, uh, in the area not far from the plane crash, people had been complaining about uh, people doing aerobatics uh-huh. low and near their homes. Uh, it makes me wonder if they didn't re-register or uh, file a bill of sale because they didn't want that end number tracked back to them when the FAA came looking for who was doing the uh, who was doing the low level unauthorized out of an authorized area aerobatics. It'd make yeah. it hard to track them down if the if the gentleman that sold the airplane didn't have a a,
1: a record of who bought it mm-hmm for the for the record, and, and for those NSA types who are listening, uh, uh, this kind of airplane is is particularly ill suited to any kind of or terroristic activity.
0: <laughs> it never even occurred to me that they were terrorists. I thought they were just clueless drug runners myself. Well, but.
1: that's 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 the the. That and, and they're just doing some off the books flight instruction to me is, is really the more logical. I,
0: I guess I'm just not sure if that would ever be worth twenty six thousand dollars in cash. I don't know. Well, you know,
1: it's all relative. How much cash you got laying around that I you guess. want to put on this project? Which and, brings us back to the drug runner thing. And and I don't know. It's two of them, so they're really only out thirteen thirteen grand and change. That's right. A piece to, for for a nice little aerobatic airplane. I don't know.
0: But they crashed
2: one, one, into the
1: one, trees and ran away from All right. One, okay. one
2: thing seems apparent, that this is one of those instances where none of the insurance companies are going to lose any money.
1: Yeah, really. Right. Because well, you know, the without a registration... This, the, 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 um, the other side, given, given the condition of the airplane and its, its, its presumed crashworthiness, those two guys did well to get out of that. I guess that's true. Yeah. In that regard, it's kind of the off. But in, in
0: more in the spirit of uh, what I had intended with off-field landing of the week uh, is from Fairfax, Virginia. Where P- Peter Hebert or Hebert uh, had troubles with his kit fox and managed to land successfully in a field. Uh, the story uh, is from uh, the website of uh, Channel Three uh, up in Vermont. Did I say uh, Fairfax, Vermont? Is what I meant to say. Uh, thank, and, uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um I, I hadn't heard about that one. Uh, and uh, you know it's just a nice little story the the thing i the thing i i found most notable about the story is that it's a tiny little story on their website anyways and and you read the story and it's sort of like every other paragraph right you know it's like the paragraph is tries to make it into like oh my god airplane crashes and then there's a paragraph that kind of is more factual that's like you know it was a routine emergency and everything went fine people could have died they landed safely that's and right. everything was okay there the FAA aer- has been notified. It was like, you know, the headline should have been, oh, my God, airplane lands safely. No one hurt.
1: Right. It, it's, it's, you know, guys, uh, there are machines that go through the air, and they sometimes come down on your head. That's what that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, so the off-field landing of the week, congratulations to uh,
0: Peter Hebert, Hebert uh, who successfully landed his kit fox. Uh took him all of four minutes to find a field. I don't know. Channel 3 thought that was notable.
2: Good job. and, and, and Peter. There's 30 minutes I, to clean out its shorts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Peter, a tip of my wing to you, buddy, because, you know, you not only survived uh, something that uh, has, has has occurred to me on a few occasions uh, uh, that is a, uh, a power interruption in, in a uh, ex- light experimental or ultralight aircraft, uh, but you added yourself on uncontrolled airspace at the same time. It's like, man, now that's confidence. Way to that's go. Right. Way to go, Peter. And we hope you get the engine situation and the landing gear
1: fixed with the
2: minimal hassle and expense and get back into the air
1: soon, man. There you go. Dave, Dave, you know more about this than I do. What would be the typical engine installed in a kit fox?
2: Uh, depending on the year. Now, you've got to remember, kit foxes go back, uh, man, over 20 years now. Uh, since the initial kit foxes took to the air, and it could be anything from a Rotax 503 uh, two-stroke engine to uh, a 582, another two-stroke engine to uh, a a 912, which is a four-cylinder, four-stroke engine. Uh, Among some of the older design Rotax two-strokes, uh, engine stoppages like this are not, you know, they, they they are not in the realm of the totally unusual, uh, mm-hmm. and and it can be for a, a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with the, uh, you know, the, the engines are fundamentally good designs and been around for a long time, but uh... depending on the engine, whether it uses uh, premix or mixes its own oil and gas uh... what kind of carburation it has uh... spark plug temperature uh... it can uh... it can get a little rough you can foul the plugs and they won't hold power uh... you can have a little lean uh... mixture of the two cycle oil and the uh... piston skirts will get uh... hot and start to score the cylinder walls and rob you of power uh, you can have uh... You can't have uh, instances where the uh, fuel pump stops, and uh, that stops feeding uh, fuel to the uh, to the main carburetors. And, of course, then the engine doesn't run. Uh, ignition problems outside the plugs fouling, though, are, are, are awfully rare in these airplanes um, because they, uh, they've they got pretty robust ignition systems, and the carburation is pretty simple and straightforward. <clears throat> Jetting in the carburetor can be an issue, too. Yeah. Um uh, that can make them run overly lean and then they don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I've
1: got enough two-stroke motorcycles that I'm not really sure I want to deal with that kind of stuff in an airplane. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things...
2: You know, for years I rode Harleys when, uh, when all my friends were going to jet bikes because the uh, quote-unquote, you know, the Harley always... the Harleys are the guys that always break down on the road trips. And <laughs> in five years of road trips, uh... On harleys that i built myself i found that paying close attention to the care and feeding of an antique bike engine uh, goes a long way toward making the trip work in both directions and two-stroke engines for ultralight aircraft and motorcycles are kind of in the same vein you gotta give them more attention and care and feeding than the engines that we drive around in our cars, mm-hmm. particularly those of us that are driving cars that are 20 years old or less, that are just so bloody reliable. They seem to just go on, you know. You sometimes they go on so long and so well that you forget about things like changing oil and spark plugs because yeah. they just seem I've, to run with no maintenance whatsoever.
1: I've got a 17-year-old Taurus that, uh, as Dave and, and uh, Jack perfectly well now, um, that it just Great keeps on car. going. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just so I'm
2: going. It's great. I've got an have got an eighteen-year-old Isuzu Trooper, short wheelbase. They only imported them a couple of years. Uh, I'm seriously considering that it might be time after 113,000 miles to put in new spark plugs. <laughs> okay. Except I'm scared to death to try to pull them out of the aluminum heads. Yeah. Uh huh. After all this time, uh, I'm I'm a little worried about the plugs being seized. To the threads and
1: stripping the threads out
2: pulling sure. plugs. Sure. Get,
1: get some get some arrow croil and shoot it in there uh, when the plugs are hot. Uh, let it sit overnight and then go out there with a, uh, the right tools and they should come right out. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was that again? Arrow? Arrow croil. It's a penetrant lubricant. Um, okay. I was going to use uh,
0: liquid wrench. Dave,
1: we'll put a link in the show notes for you. <laughs> we will. will. Oh, no, okay. yeah. Croyle's stuff to use on, on that. Okay. Uh huh. That'll work. Anyway, See, no, I've been wondering you, if, but... if
2: you're flying a two-cycle airplane engine, you have got to be more attentive uh, to things like jetting and uh, fuel oil mixture ratios, uh, and, uh, and 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 temperature, density, altitude extremes, which can affect the uh, uh, how the jetting works. That's you right. just have
1: I, to be. It's indigenous I, to the design. I'll give you an example. I, you know, just talk from a motorcycle standpoint, I've got this liquid-cooled uh, two-stroke twin um, in a, in a uh, Yamaha. And um, had some issues with the bike when I got it. But um, finally got it dialed in in the spring. And here it is summer, and the thing runs like crap. And I finally got it fixed to where it is now perfectly dialed in, I think, pretty much all seasons. But uh, that's it. That's just uh, the way these two strokes are, these small bore engines can be. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I, I've put my butt,
2: I've put my butt in, in trust to many Rotax, Kawasaki, McCullough, Gemini,
1: uh, What's the German uh, company? M- m- McCullough is where I would draw the line. I think actually, I, well, the I've, had enough, I've had enough chainsaw troubles in my career. My the colors
2: really were big chainsaw engines. Uh, oh yeah, with a driveshaft uh, linked to a prop on a hang glider. Yeah, uh, the Kawasaki's were uh, twin inline strokes. Cayunas. Oh, oh my yeah, gosh, sure. oh, I yeah. Almost forgot about Cayuna. And Hearth. Hearth is uh, an up and comer in that field. Uh, and uh, you know, if if uh, if Peter Hebert thinks maybe it's time to uh, to consider. Alternate power for his kit fox, and it has something in the range of 50 to 60 horsepower and a two stroke Rotax. Uh, I'd suggest he call Tom Pagini up in uh, Connecticut and talk to him about getting an HK700E two cylinder four stroke in the 60 horsepower range to go on that kit fox. Uh, he'll burn less gas, uh, it's quieter, uh, remarkably smooth, got more torque. Uh, and it's just a great replacement for some of those 50 and 60 horsepower uh, two stroke installations. Uh, and it's a really robust engine, three valves per cylinder, if I remember right. Uh, integral flywheel, alternator. Uh, very, very, very slick little motor. And, yeah. uh, it, and, and it's been adopted by a lot of guys that were no longer happy with the care and feeding of a two stroke engine, regardless mm-hmm. of the brand. And that's all I got to say about it.
0: Moving on, let's see. Uh, so, Dave, you point, called our attention to uh, some sort of survey that's being conducted regarding uh, the ADSB system. Is,
1: yes, sir. Tell us what that's uh, all about.
0: Sure. Let me get this link open here.
1: Now yeah, that looks that it. looks interesting. I, I I appreciate that link. I didn't know that was out there. Uh, Massachusetts I'll, I'll to, Institute of Technology International oh, Center
2: this. for Air Transportation uh, is. Uh, uh, Conducting a survey for the uh, uh, Department of Aeronautics. their Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics are working on this survey, uh, I believe, for the FAA. Uh, because, as uh, a lot of you may know, and some of you may not know, Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, ADSB, is expected to be a complete network in the United States by about 2014. Oregon's just put in their own. Uh, it's active in Alaska now. They uh, converted the Capstone Project to Alaska. ADS-B is going to be the backbone of the uh, future uh, next-gen air traffic system. And get used to the acronym. Start to enlighten yourself about it because in another seven or eight years, it may be mandatory to get into places like Class B and Class C airspace. So MIT's ICAT is doing a survey. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, it's completely voluntary. You don't have to answer every question. You can stop at any time. Uh, of course you will not be compensated for this. Uh, none of us are, except in the, uh, the good feeling it comes from adding our voice to help shape the future of the FAA's air traffic system and how it's operated. So uh, it's worth going online. The links on the on, on the uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace uh, show notes site uh, highly recommended i took the survey as advertised it took me about eight or ten minutes to get through it you don't have to identify yourself in any way if you don't care to if you want to you can and uh... and and they'll keep you in a loop with other information as time goes by and they may contact you with further questions if you identify yourself if
0: you recall what what sorts of questions were they asking Well, the
2: uh... The questions start out with some pretty simple stuff like uh, your pilot rating or your total time instrument. Uh, then uh, goes on to explain ADSB applications, how it works, and ask you some questions uh, such as. Uh, uh, first set of questions is uh, relates to ADSB out technology, where each aircraft broadcasts its position, altitude, airspeed. Trend information, that is whether it's climbing, descending, in which direction it's going, aircraft id to ground stations in areas where there's no existing air traffic radar coverage. This data is fed to ATC to produce radar-like displays of traffic information. They want to know how you wh- whether it would benefit you. Operations center, company online, flight tracking of aircraft in non towered would that be of some benefit or no benefit to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, for radar separation, for increased VFR flight following, uh all these in real world use questions uh then it goes on to a d s radar airspace a d s b app out, out applications that is where the aircraft's reporting all that information to air traffic control and it's integrated and you're in radar airspace and it's integrated into what the controllers see on their radar screens and it asks you know whether you thought the application would improve air traffic control flow management whether there's some benefit. Significant benefits, no benefits, or whether it wouldn't apply to you uh then there's questions on a d s b n on relation to traffic display applications that is whether you feel it would benefit you to be able to see other uh, traffic in your uh whether it would help you navigating around weather, whether it would help you in instrument conditions uh then it asks you some questions about the uh, aircraft you normally fly. Uh, how it 's equipped uh, there 's no trick questions in it it 's yeah. genuine it 's genuine research uh, and they are the kind of questions that when you first look at them, you kind of go well i don 't necessarily fly in an environment where that 's going to make a difference well, right. you can always say that doesn 't apply to me Check yeah. the so you would recommend box. that
0: pilots across the board should take this whether you're I
2: would recommend every pilot that hears about this. Regardless of where they hear about it, regardless of their rating, time and grade, experience level, or intentions, take this because, as I said at the onset, ADSB is on the way.
0: Yeah. Everyone uh, should, every pilot should take uh, 10 minutes and go do the survey. Uh, y- the uh, URL is a little bit of a handful, so I'm not going to try and give it here on the podcast, but you could Google MIT ADSB survey or we'll put the complete link in the show notes. So, uh, So uh, go over there and, and take the survey.
2: It'll be 10, 15 minutes of time, very well spent, and you can help provide your input to how things go in the future.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to take a minute here and tell you about how I spent my last weekend, or my last Saturday. Uh, I had, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I was planning to go down to uh, Rhode Island to see the uh, Blue Angels fly. and yeah. Uh, I did, go. and I did, and that was a lot of fun. I went uh, last Saturday, I uh, went down to... Uh, Quonset State Airport airport uh in North Kingstown Rhode Island uh where uh, there was the Rhode Island uh, Nation, uh National Guard I think it was Rhode Island National Guard open house was taking place and uh they were out there on the ramp they had uh, a lot of aircraft a lot of uh of current military and former military it turns out to be a really cool airport i was under the impression that it was an active that it was exclusively an active military base. Uh, turns out it's not. It used to be the Quonset Naval Air Station, uh, where uh, and they actually have a pier. It's right on the edge of the Narragansett Bay, and the, the aircraft carriers would steam right up and park at the edge of the uh, of the field. And, uh, and of course, the uh, the uh, you know onboard aircraft would fly in and land at the uh, airport. It's now a Quonset State Airport. Uh, it's run okay. by the state. Uh, it has a large GA component. It also is the home of the... Uh, of the uh, Rhode Island National Guard, uh, or I'm not sure if it's a reserve unit or what it is, but uh, it is a, a some sort of guard or reserve unit. They fly uh, C-130s and uh, A-10 Warthogs, and uh, they. It's the only s-
2: National Guard unit in the United States that can control the whole state without needing a tanker. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right. They also have uh, the uh, uh, Quonset Air Museum, which is uh, they've got a lot of, uh, of retired military aircraft on display, uh, and they were all many of them were moved out onto the ramp, so there are a lot of uh, older military aircraft on display. Um, it was it was just a fun fun air show. I had a good time. I got a chance to look at a lot of things. I visited the folks with from the EAA chapter that's based down there and chatted with them for a while. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, highlight at the end of the day was to uh, watch the Blue Angels. I have to tell you, though, so here's... here's, so i didn't realize that it was a public airport i might have flown in a lot of people did fly in um but uh, i drove in and and not having gone to a lot of this kind of air shows in in many years i'd sort of forgotten one aspect of this and that is the amount of traffic jams that you can get into arriving at the airport to get into parking <laughs> and uh that that was not a lot of fun i managed to kind of bushwhack my way around some of it but uh but i did get stuck for the like, final 45 minutes in my uh, we were talking earlier about cars my a 10 year old Jeep Cherokee that has 180,000 miles and oh, by the way, has overheating problems. So <laughs> here I am in 45 minutes of, cr- of creeping along traffic uh, with my car trying to overheat. And you know, no, it's but it was worth the wait because I had a lot of fun checking out the airplanes. I got a chance, I think I got to stand. You know, so the one of the fun parts about seeing the Blue Angels fly is this little pre-show thing they do. You know, where they they're all preparing the aircraft, and then they all kind of line up, and they have this sort of ceremonial thing. You know, where the uh, the uh, six pilots. Uh, uh, I had always seen the part where they kind of start from one end of the. You know, the airplanes are all lined up, sort of facing the crowd, and the six pilots will sort of march down along uh, front of the noses of the aircraft, and each each pilot will kind of take a turn and and march down to his airplane and shake hands with his crew chief and it starts even before that where the uh, the pilots actually start at the opposite end and they walk along the backside of all their aircraft where all the crew not only the crew chiefs but the other crew are standing there and every pilot shakes the hand of every crew member back there as they walk down and then as the pilots pass by that's when the crew the crew members then kind of get into position sort of I don't know if it's at attention but they're kind of you know uh you know standing upright and a uh, ceremony isn't it Say again, Jeb. Very ceremonial. Yeah, it's very ceremonial. It's cool, you know, and and you watch, and it's all very, you know, very ceremonial. I like I like that kind of stuff. I don't know. I should. I I, I don't know. The liberal in me should think it's a bad thing, but I just um, – Yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff, you know. And so even to the point of – so one of the final things that happened before they start the engines – actually, after they start the engines um, – is that a crew member uh, – two crew members per aircraft will come up from behind the aircraft and then go in under the wings and grab the uh, wheel chocks. And, so, and then they take the wheelchocks and they actually kind of they kind of hold them to their sides and march up out to the flight line. It's all very cool. I liked it a lot. And I got to stand closer to watch this than I ever have before. And so that was a lot of fun. And, of course, one the of, flying is terrific.
1: One of my first, talking about ground crew and, and ceremony and that kind of thing, one of my first uh, aviation memories uh, is um, uh, my mother and I putting my father on an airplane to fly out on a business trip at this airport in southern Illinois. And this was Ozark Airlines back in the early 60s um, flying DC3s. Oh wow. It, yeah, it, it was it was that that long ago and I'm dating myself once again. But um you've been dating the, yourself for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Jack, can we just like cut this little part out? Yeah, I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Those are airlines. Go ahead. Keep going. You're doing good. And, and the gate agent as as the, you know, both fans are turning, these radials are rumbling, and this airplane's kind of pursed at about a twenty degree angle, uh, looking like a, a pterodactyl or something. It's dark, the 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 light is glinting off the, the spinning propellers and you can almost see them black and white now rather than color then but the the gate agent stands out where the pilot can see him uh, with both engines running and and salutes He's at attention and he salutes and the the pilot salutes back and they taxi away into the night and i I do remember that very yeah. vividly that's cool yeah. Two more notable things about my visit down
0: to the uh, Rhode island air show um, they had uh one of the things that they had touted in addition to the blue angels was uh, going to have a, a demonst- aerial demonstration by an f twenty two raptor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, if you haven't had a chance yet to see Raptor flying, it's pretty impressive. This airplane there's can do some amazing things, and as uh,
1: uh, uh, I there's, there's a video or two out there, maybe on YouTube or something. Yeah, uh, and, and ever since the
0: ever since the Raptor's been flying in public demonstrations like that, people have just been amazed at at some of the maneuvers it can do in terms of like sudden pulls and 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 standing on its tail, and it just it's just pretty amazing maneuvers. Um, something I thought was interesting is before the Raptor flew that day, they had a lot of flybys by other uh, fighter aircraft, including um, an F eighteen. The F eighteen was doing much more extreme maneuvers than I've ever seen an F eighteen do at these air shows before. They're doing these kinds of these kind of sudden nose up pulls and these really sharp turns. And I mean, and I'm convinced, and, and this is based on nothing but me looking at it. I'm convinced that these fighter pilots are all being challenged. I mean, sort of feeling challenged by the raptors ability to do these demonstrations because i think they've all geared up their shows and their demonstrations to say well, we can do that kind of stuff too was, uh,
1: was this with the hornets doing this were they blue angels or were they just uh no this line? was other
0: other hornets sure. uh, other uh
1: probably probably super hornets
0: Perhaps and that's the other, I do I do acknowledge that that the uh, that the F-18s may have had uh, you know improvements lately that give them more of the ability to do this but it was far and away the most dramatic uh, not just the F-18 but the other you know like the the other uh, uh, you know current uh, fighter aircraft uh, were doing much more dramatic and extreme maneuvers and and I think it's influenced by the F-22 and we saw the F-22 F-22 fly later on the other thing that was really notable for me. Was at one point during the show, they did uh, about five or six passes uh, for for people to take pictures of flying in formation a uh, P-51 Mustang with an F-16 and the F-22 Raptor. Uh, the heritage. heritage flight type thing. Yeah, it was a very very cool image to see these three aircraft flying, uh, uh, you know, wingtip to wingtip, and uh, I got a bunch of pictures of the whole thing. And uh, eventually, I'm going to find a minute to get them posted up onto the uh, onto the I web, wonder, and I'll, I'll put a link in the in the blog oh, or in the show notes wonder, or something.
1: I wonder how much the. <clears throat> excuse me. I wonder how much the jet pilots had to struggle to keep formation with the 51 i bet not much you
0: know it didn't i've seen those kinds of flybys in the past and in the past it's always seemed like the jet the fighter plane was sort of very high angle of attack to kind of keep it slow um and in this case it didn't it, it seemed like everybody was very comfortably under control and there was just no problem and uh it, it was very picturesque and uh and kind of made your heart beat faster to see them these three aircraft together it was cool those it was a good air show. Cool. I'm going to put it on my list and and try and make it down there again next year. Maybe fly in this time. So uh, that
1: was that, yeah. You won't Quons- get stuck in traffic that way.
0: Yeah, I won't get stuck in traffic.
1: Which which air show was that again, Jack?
0: The uh, Rhode Island National Guard Open House at uh, Quonset State Airport in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. It's just south of Providence on the Narragansett Bay. Very cool. Oh. So what else is going on? So of course uh, uh, air is coming up, and uh, uh, we're really. There- yeah, uh, we haven't talked much about Air venture today, and I, I think we're going to kind of hold off and talk a little bit more in the next couple of episodes. But one thing I did want to call attention to is uh, one thing that's sort of been in the works for a, a, a month or so now um, is uh, trying to put together sort of a gathering of the aviation podcasters. All of us who uh, do podcasts about flying uh, have been talking about getting together somehow, some way while we're all out in Oshkosh. And uh, the guys out at the pilot cast Podcast have uh, have coordinated this whole thing. Uh, we're actually going to all get together and uh, try and record something. I don't know whether it's going to be a formal episode of Pilotcast or whether it's going to be something else. But uh, I know we're going to try and record. Uh, it'll
2: definitely be something else.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's going to be on uh, it's going to be on Friday, July twenty seventh at five thirty in the afternoon. It's going to be in uh, the one of the Forum buildings. It's going to be Forum Building Number Two. And uh, you should definitely, as the time gets closer, check the forum schedule. Um, I understand this didn't make it in time to get into the printed forum schedule, the little booklet they give you. But you want to check the uh, AirVenture website um, or AirVenture Today for the updated th- schedules. The AA
2: has done something new this year, and they have all the forums and workshops and speaker presentations and all that on a, uh, on, on a website you can search through. There's about a 1,000 of on the list, so uh, it should be in there somewhere.
1: Yeah. One so of the, one of the things about this, though, too, is we'll be publishing daily in the uh, Air Venture Today newspaper um, that day schedules, and they'll right, be yeah. up to date. They'll reflect all current known changes the night before, and uh, it'll be much, <clears throat> much more informative uh, for the attendees. Um, EAA has taken this step because there's been a lot of confusion in the past uh, about. Late-minute cancellations or switches and venue changes, things like that. Right, and this will be mo, mo better, as they say. So keep an
0: eye on all those forum changes. But uh, we're looking forward to meeting a bunch of our uh, our listeners and uh, and and meeting some new listeners uh, again Friday, July twenty seventh. That's Friday during the middle of the uh, of AirVenture, uh, five thirty p.m. Forum Building Number Two. And uh, uh, the pilot cast guys are going to be there. Steve Tupper from the Airspeed Podcast is going to be there. Will Hawkins from the Student Pilot Podlog is going to be there. Jason Miller from the Finer Points is going to be there. A bunch of others. Um, we're going to be there, uh, and uh, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun, uh, and, uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing people there.
1: Who's supplying the beer for this?
0: I, you know, I think we ought to talk to those pilot cast guys because, you know, you can't just go halfway, right?
1: Oh, you've got to do something.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And sort of on a subject, slightly related subject, uh, congratulations go out to student pilot Will. Uh, we've talked about this podcast in the past. Uh, Will oh. – God, I'm sorry. I forgot. I believe it's Will Hawkins, um, student pilot. Will uh, started learning how to fly about a year ago, and immediately started a podcast where he talked about his experience as a student pilot. Um, and he told the good stuff and the bad stuff, including the fact that he failed his first check ride a few months back. Um, and he's been very frank, and, and I think he's kind of helped a lot of other student pilots with by sharing the experience. Uh, I believe it was just yesterday, as a matter of fact, or the last couple of days. Um, Will has finally completed and passed his uh, private pilot check ride. Congratulations. congratulations,
1: Will. Yeah. That's great. Way to go. So, it uh, means
0: you're buying the beer. So I guess maybe he's <laughs> buying the beer. That's right. Um, so that's terrific, and congratulations to him. And he'll be there at the, uh, the gathering of the Aviation Podcasters. And you should also check out his podcast um, at the Student Pilot Podlog. We'll put a link on the, in the show notes. Um, now, I don't exactly— you- is Will going to change his name? Well, now, that's what I don't know. I was curious about this. In the email that he sent me um, telling me the past, he pointed out um, what many of us have said is that getting your license to fly is really a license to continue to learn. And so, in some senses, he will continue to be a student pilot. So, I don't know as, whether he as, intends as to... That's,
1: that's a good way to look at it. I mean, as we're we all, all students get. at one level or another. Yeah. And, uh, so, I, I don't know whether ever. he's
0: going to continue to call it the student pilot podlog or whether he's going to change it to something else, but, uh, but in any event, congratulations to uh, student pilot Will, to... To private pilot Will for uh, passing his check ride and welcome aboard.
2: Congratulations. Gonna, and uh, we like dark amber, <clears throat> hoppy
1: beers. That's right. There you go. Yep. There you go. Sam, Sam Adams, if you can't find anything else like that. That's right. We may oh, have listen, to get together. No,
2: and, no, no, no. We're going to be in Wisconsin, guys. Line and Kugels. Well,
1: well that's the yeah, Line and Kugels um, and some broads. We need, need line broads. Line
2: either the creamy dark or the red. Uh, either one of those goes really well with food that's right life with With oxygen man anytime goes goes really well with air goes really well with television uh goes well with other beer as long as i don't have to drink the other beer
0: there you go
1: is there a pattern starting to emerge here it uh, it
0: long ago emerged it's uh, (laughs) they all know haven't you been reading the mail
1: well, I'd like to give a, uh, kind of in the student pilot uh, vein, kind of a shout out to somebody. Uh, my daughter. Uh, who yeah, what's uh, the latest I signed, on this? I signed her up last week at a local FBO uh, for um, flying lessons. She, she takes her first lesson this coming Saturday. Ooh, yeah. Uh, at noon. We're trying to
2: talk Mernside into becoming her student pilot mentor on the AOPA Yeah, ARPA I'm, I'm going
1: to check that out. I, I don't know what the rules and everything are, but I'll, I'll definitely check that out. I, <coughs> try I to definitely
2: recommend up. she find a different CFI if he was a flight instructor. But that, right, that's a nice no, story.
1: no. I signed her up for uh, you know um, a, an instructor and and uh, the whole thing. Um, we went out and looked at sat in airplanes, um, um, sitting. All right, here's a 172. Here's a new 172. uh here's a warrior here's a new warrior Mm -hmm. uh uh, you know what which do you like better and and this kind of thing and i was kind of pleasantly surprised um everybody was kind of pushing her towards the skyhawk and she chose the warrior (laughs) good for her yeah good for her there you go yeah Uh, and i think it has a lot to do she's most familiar with riding in my bonanza and uh the size you know is obviously different but the general layout and shape of the airplanes is very similar mm-hmm. uh so i think that's probably uh more uh anything why she chose the uh, the warrior of the skyhawk yeah
0: well after she's had a couple lessons maybe yeah. maybe after Oshkosh i guess because it's going to get a little crazy here on the podcast but uh she come on the on come into the virtual I, I, hangar and, i will uh, talk
1: to her about that and see if she'd like to do it yeah. um, uh, I, I presume that she's familiar with the podcast, but uh, I've certainly mentioned it to her in the past. I don't know if she's a listener or not, but uh, uh, I will talk to her. Yeah, I, I'm great. looking really looking forward to getting feedback from her um, uh, Sunday evening. She'll have two lessons by then, uh-huh. and uh, um, really curious. Uh, as it happens, I'm flying out Saturday morning um, about, well, hopefully before uh, she starts her lesson. So... Uh, uh, Turning we the key might, before noon. It's yeah. It's it's going to be a tough one. Gee, but, many Christmas. But uh, we might be in. Who who knows? We might be in the same pattern at the
0: same time. So here's my question: um, As a dad, who had to kind of meet a higher standard—her her potential flight instructor or her potential boyfriends?
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Was it a complex kind has a, of screening I don't process? I think he has a
2: hand in one of those. <sighs> <sighs>
1: Let's just say I have. Um, I'd like to think I have influence over both aspects. Did you sit the instructor uh, down but, but and even, a little talk? More, this is my little even, girl, and uh... but even but even more important, um, I know my daughter well enough to know that she makes good decisions. There you go. Well, there uh, you so, go. So and I have and I have confidence in her abilities to make those kinds of decisions. Well, that's so, terrific. We hope she I has don't, fun I don't stress and stress over uh, that kind of thing as much as others might. Yeah
0: we hope she has fun and uh, that uh, that uh, you know she gets a lot out of it and uh, maybe she'll share a little bit of that with us as time goes on speaking of guests get,
1: we, yeah, do, uh, oh yeah go ahead go ahead go ahead do dave we want,
0: although I, do we want do we want to say anything about next week's game let's come back to that in a second um, okay. let's see now we did get one bit of uh, interesting or we got a lot of we got lots of email um, we
1: didn't get any cat lover mails we males.
0: didn't get any cat lover mails now this kind of i don't know what this says about Our podcast, or cat lovers, or pilots in general, but you know, we were we kind of wandered into a somewhat abusive thread (laughs) on cats in the cockpit last week. Particularly when sautéed with a ramen
2: noodles. In a it tastes like See, it tastes and it's like- been
0: my experience that cat lovers don't kid around, all right? And I was just convinced that we would hear from <laughs> cat lovers. And and I don't know, maybe they've just kind of all now sworn us off. Maybe they just skipped over the feedback part and have left us. But um, we didn't hear a single thing from cat lovers uh, concerned maybe, that we Maybe were,
1: they're just it, saving it up.
2: Well, I was going to say, they're probably over sitting in the corner staring at us with a glow, glaring That's right. expression. That's right. Doing they could, nothing.
0: They, they could arrive with signs at the thing at Oshkosh, you know, so... Uh, don't be catty. <laughs> That's right. Looking fast forward even as we speak. One wow. interesting bit of feedback we got, though, was a... Uh was a uh, an audio bit of audio feedback from uh, one of our listeners uh, David Allen who we've heard heard from from time to time and and always has some interesting feedback for us. Uh he sent a, a, a an audio uh, comment. I'm not going to play the whole thing it's a bit long to uh, to play uh, uh in the here in the podcast. We're going to put it on the website so you can listen to his to his whole uh, uh, commentary. He tells us a little bit about uh, well, let me play the first part of it and then we can kind of uh, expand on it from there. Let's see if hopefully you guys will hear this.
3: Hey guys, David here from Melbourne, Florida. My home airport is Melbourne International, Mike Lima Bravo. I enjoyed listening to your bit in episode 33 about Kissimmee Airport and the gathering of the Mustangs. I have actually been to Kissimmee Airport at least twice to hunt ELTs as part of search and rescue missions with the Civil Air Patrol, the last time being in 1999. Every year, as part of the planning for Sun and Fun, the Air Force Rescue Coordination Center, or AFRCC, opens a CAP mission before the fly-in even starts. They do this (laughs) because they know that with so many airplanes flying in and out of Lakeland on a daily basis, there will be ELTs going off and overdue aircraft that fail to close their flight plans. It's not really a matter of If it's going to happen, but more a matter of how many times it's going to happen. So in 1999, it just so happened. So I'm
0: going to cut him off there, and we'll put the rest of it up on the on the website. But uh, he tells (laughs) about uh, an interesting sort of uh, uh, incident unrelated to uh, to Sun and Fun, and uh, it's a very familiar sight at Sun
2: and Fun in Oshkosh to see a Civil Air Patrol crew in a golf cart or a gator, usually a golf cart riding around with a receiver and a beam antenna being aimed yeah. by some young man in a, in, in, or young woman in headphones and they're driving up and down among the rows of parked aircraft looking for that errant ELT that kicked off because somebody had a let's say a more definitive arrival <laughs> than, than some of the others <clears throat>
0: So uh, I mean, and he tells an interesting story about discovering one uh, not at Lakeland. But uh, I think it's for just for starters, it's a good lesson to kind of add to your arrival checklist uh, for like things like Sun and Fun and Air Venture um, is
2: to my, uh, and my closing favorite
1: your flight plan. Yeah, that's right, closing your flight plan. My favorite E L T story uh, comes from late oh late 2001 November ish maybe. Uh, anybody who was flying back then could. Kind of recall it. It was kind of crazy. There are a lot of people who didn't who shouldn't have been out there. There were a lot of airspace changes. There was a lot of chatter on the frequency. And uh, uh, coming back into the Washington area one afternoon, uh, Potomac Tracon is talking to this guy who is clearly having some trouble. Uh, he's just not he's just not with the picture here. And for some reason, the controller asks the guy to to tune a uh, guard frequency and listen for an E L T in his in his area. So the guy's like, "Well, okay, fine, but what's guard frequency? I don't have a label here for that." And uh, uh-huh. uh, the, contr- the controller patiently explains that it's 21.5, and uh, you know he's cleared off the frequency for a moment. And would he come back and, and tell us what he hears? So I'm droning along and I'm not paying a whole lot of attention. Uh, the guy comes back on a couple minutes later, says, uh, tells the controller, says. You know I, I dialed up that twenty one five guard frequency like you told me to, and I couldn't hear anything on it except this whoop, whoop, whoop sound. <laughs> <laughs> i i had I had two other pilots with me in the airplane and i'm I'm surprised we survived. We were laughing so hard <laughs> at this poor guy, and the controllers like, "Yeah, okay, fine, thank you very much and uh, he goes on about his business and only God knows if that ELT was ever found or if it was the real deal or anything else.
2: Uh, well, amazing. you know, in the years since 9 one you know, the, part, of the, uh, part of the standard drill for flying, you know, is, is supposed to be if you got more than one comm radio uh-huh. to tune into the guard frequency on your number two. It's supposed to be SOP. It's. Primarily because in case you have to get intercepted for some reason, like right. <laughs> you stumbled across an inadvertent pop-up shrub TFR. and So uh, the fighter
0: pilots can say hi in addition to waving.
2: That's right, so that they can talk to you and, and, and say, turn your butt around. Uh, so it was a uh, monthly fly-in breakfast at my favorite Oklahoma fly-in breakfast airport, uh, Papa November Charlie. And we were en route back to 3 Alpha Uniform, Augusta King- Kansas, and we're talking to Kansas City Center, getting ready for the handoff to Wichita approach on the number one radio. On the number two radio, we've got Guard. And about 40 miles out of Wichita, the squelch breaks on the number two, and I get whoop, whoop, whoop. That's well, that's a little odd. Don't you know, usually what I hear is guys using the guard frequency like it's freaking channel nineteen on a citizens band radio. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh golly Earl, I thought you were gonna fly over the house this weekend. <laughs> well, I was going to, but well it was kinda close there. couldn't make out the power lines and you know, just Insane, insane, ain't it? <laughs> so here it is, a real ELT signal. So I rolled the airplane to the west and did a 360, and the signal just about completely died. Yeah. Rolled out back on heading, did a 360 to the right, the signal gets stronger. I make note of the heading where it's the strongest. Call up uh, Wichita Approach, say, uh, you know, for what it's worth, on this heading uh, back toward the east, uh, I'm picking up a pretty strong ELT signal there. okay we turned it in went on my merry way checked in with them later today and like nobody had a clue what it was (laughs) i'm not even sure they'd alerted the cap until for a couple of days Then i talked to a buddy of mine that's in the local cap and it's oh yeah we got scrambled out on it and uh you know it was over toward the uh, uh missouri kansas border right near the corner where arkansas butts up and uh, well, somebody had a hard landing and put the airplane, you know, tied it down and left. Uh-huh. Huh. I was like, wow, that, that that was a pretty good signal for being 90 miles from my airplane. But they're out there. Yeah. Right. They're out there. And it's worth, you know, if you got one of those landings that makes your spine feel a half inch shorter, you really ought to check your ELT before you shut down. Right. Just turn uh, were- in 121.5, you'll hear it.
1: Talking about 1215 in conversations, I came out of out of the Chicago area. Well, this was late 01 also. I think I was coming out of uh, DuPage. Uh, it was west of Chicago, and uh, I got got airborne and was headed eastbound back here to Manassas. Uh, and I was kind of curious about some weather ahead of me, so I dialed up Flight Service and and uh, asked them for an update. And the guy says, by the way, uh, while we got you, could you come up on 21.5? This was Kankakee uh, Radio, I think. Can you come up on 21.5 and give us a check? And I said, yeah, no, we're, we're working on some equipment here and, and uh, da 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 I said, yeah, no problem. So got my weather, changed frequencies to 21.5, called Kankakee, and we hadn't gotten two sentences into the conversation then some, air, <laughs> some other voice breaks in and says, "Get off this frequency. This is reserved for military use." What? Um, and da- something else, and I was like, "Oh, okay, fine." And uh, I said, "You know, I, I basically told a guy I was perfectly legal using this frequency for this purpose, and he can buzz off." I didn't say it in so many words. Well. I'm, I'm, we, anyway, we ended our conversation. I went back to doing what I was doing. Later on down the road, I checked in with that same flight service station again. And it just so happens that the same flight service station specialist was handling the radio at the time. He says, oh, by the way, um, you didn't know this at the time, that last call you made on one five? I said, yeah. He says, we had uh, Air Force calling us on a landline while we were on the frequency with you, telling us to get off of 21.5. And really? I was like, well, okay, you know, welcome to the new regime. But this was, again, late 01 when, when the whole system was fooblard. But uh, uh, I just found that highly interesting. Really?
2: Well, you know, that, that there's, there, there's this whole segment of people in aviation who came through, different segments, who came through a very narrow niche who don't realize what there is in the rest of the world out there. And uh you know, I've got a I've got a buddy, who flies flies tankers for the military. And uh he came through the civil track. But we were talking recently, you know, he's got some colleagues that are just stunned that he flies around in a single engine piston airplane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one, there's only one engine. Two you're dealing with, you know, you're flying around all these civilians that really don't know how to fly. And he's like, wait a minute, that's how I came up. Well, yeah, but you came to your senses and went through ROTC and, and got a job <laughs> with us. And he goes, yeah, but I'm trying to get the hell out because you guys are same." <laughs> but it, it, I'd heard this back in uh, I uh I did a radio check kind of similar to what you're talking about for an FAA facility, and I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember whether it was flight service or, or air traffic, but they asked me to go up on 121.5. They were having uh, doing some maintenance work, and they were checking a repeater out, if I remember correctly, and uh I said, we want to do this quick. Well, obviously, you want to do that quick, uh, but when we got back on the regular flight service station frequency, I said, what was the rush? he goes, well, every time we get up on a frequency, you know, we're about every other time we get on a frequency to, to, to check the function. So we get this, you know, call from somebody, you know, some military pilot uh, admonishing us that this is exclusively reserved for the military. And it's like, I'd like to talk to somebody at the FAA, the FCC, and the DOD and uh-huh. find out when in hell they were granted sole exclusive rights to 121.5. Yeah, I'd like to know that also. I'd like to know that also. It'd be an interesting
1: conversation. And we all know what the answer would be. Yeah, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And there's no change in policy or rules concerning use 121.5. Have a nice day. Now, here's a question, though, that I just... Popped
2: into that vacant space between both ears. You, you know, you know, we're not too far. Be out strong, Jeb. Be strong. We're, we're we're not too far out <laughs> from when one twenty one five is not going to be the frequency of choice for our ELTs. The yeah. satellites up there will no longer be listening for them. The responders will no longer respond to that. Uh, it's all going to be you know, uh, four oh six megahertz. Uh, elts that talk to satellites and, uh, and and in best cases give the satellite our latin long so that the 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 uh, searchers can home in on a you know a one square mile area and start you know improving the chances of finding you alive but what happens to one twenty one five as an emergency frequency for
1: for aircraft does it stay around oh yeah yeah it stays around what 's happening is the technology uh has evolved to the point where it 's it's not cost-effective for them to. This is an international consortium that, uh-huh. that actually has this task. Right, right. But yes. monitoring monitoring 121.5 will not be is no longer cost-effective and will be discontinued. I think in in 08 or 09. It's easy to look up the exact uh, date. Um, the shift will be to so-called 243 megahertz uh, ELTs, which are digital technology. There's uh, you have the option and the higher end. Uh, products to encode um, the, the aircraft's last known position uh, based on GPS coordinates, and uh, the in number and contact numbers and, and things like that, uh, all in that stream. You
3: know, that information is be recorded to
1: come or, into, or uh, transmitted. Yeah, those units are just now starting to come into existence for
2: installation in aircraft.
1: Right, they're They're, 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 price, they're very pricey, four grand a pop. Uh, last time I priced them versus a brand new ELT uh, analog one twenty one two forty three ELT for six or eight hundred. Yeah.
0: Now that um, sounds like it could be an improvement. But are they planning to discontinue the existing system?
1: Well, the the they will no longer be monitoring. This is the international satellite based consortium that monitors uh, ELT signals around the world. And there already are uh, if someone. Wanted to, someone can get a personal locator beacon, a PLB, that basically does the same thing except it may require manual activation. Right. Yeah. All yeah, right. it will require manual activation. They don't have G switches. Yeah, they don't have G switches in them. And yeah, they're not they don't built mount. as
0: ELTs. Well, that's pretty interesting We should probably Talk about that more we, We're really running out Of our allotted time here We need to uh, to Wrap this thing up A uh, couple of quick so Shout outs at the end here. Dave you, you sort of Alluded to this A few minutes back um, And I want to suggest That we be a little Mysterious about this um, Unless you guys Really disagree um, I, I, What I'll say Is that uh, We encourage everyone To check into the podcast Next week uh, Because uh, we are scheduled To have a very special Visitor here In the virtual hangar And uh, we're really Looking forward to this It's going to be Kind of cool And uh,
1: that's all I was going to say. I don't know. You want to elaborate this, this on this, where, this, yeah, that's, this? is where you turn up the background music, which is Journey, and you turn to, <laughs> uh, to the uh, uh, don't to stop wife's believing, theme, uh, and 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 you fade
2: to black.
0: I see. Okay.
2: Right so, in the middle uh, of it, it goes quiet. No, I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, we're so going to have, guest. Yeah, we'll have a guest on a from uh, we're going to have a guest on from a state north of Kansas, and 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 west of Massachusetts. And uh, north northwest of, uh, uh, of Virginia, who will speak to us about some in, in obscure event coming up in, in the latter part of July where we all show up and work our brains out. That's right.
1: Let's let's make sure we keep expectations as low as possible. Okay? Well, I think we're all on that now. Yeah. Um,
0: what else is coming up? Uh, I've been talking a lot about uh, one of my favorite fly-ins. Happens uh, in, in, coming up uh, uh, next weekend, which is the... Uh, the July 7th through fourteen, actually the week, uh, the Yankee ultralight fly-in in Greenland, New Hampshire. I'm definitely going to be up there, and I'll probably take some pictures and report back on uh, on what I see. And if you're up here in the New England area, uh, don't forget that it's next weekend. And uh, if you've never been, you got to take some time and go see the ultralights uh, at, uh, at Sanderson Field in Greenland, Sound New Hampshire. cool. Yeah. yeah. Any yep. other shout-outs before we finish up here? Yeah, quick one. Uh,
2: EAA Chapter eighty eight. Their annual uh, well, this year they're calling it the Air Capital Fly-In at uh, Colonel Jack Thomas Airport in El Dorado, Kansas. That is Echo Quebec Alpha. Great fun. A lot of really interesting airplanes show up. Nice folks. Chapter 88 runs a great little fly-in up there. Uh, there'd be a, a pancake breakfast uh, on on Saturday morning uh be some flea market items, some fly market items, uh some demonstrations, and some nice aircraft uh, a lot of home built a lot of aircraft from several states around uh, and they have a nice banquet on saturday night uh highly recommended and uh following weekend July fourteen and fifteen and I'm going to shout this one out early because it's the uh, open house at McConnell Air Force Base here in Wichita. And they're going to have the boys in blue flying yeah. as demonstrators this year, the Blue Angels. And uh, glad to see them back after their uh, uh, tragedy a little earlier this year, yeah. back in May.
0: And uh, back on schedule. Uh, Go check great, them out. Like I said, I just did, and it never gets old. It's awesome. Great, great, great open house. Uh, the folks from
2: uh, uh, a lot of local folks will have their aircraft there. Uh, they that's uh, some great displays tankers and, and transports and there's a lot more flying demonstrations go on than just the blue angels uh... fortunately the uh, unfortunately the blue angels tend to fly in the afternoon and since you're viewing the show mostly from the uh, well, it used to be viewed mostly from the uh, east side of the airport they may have changed that it's been a while since i've been out to that uh... usually mcconnell's open open house occurs the weekend after oshkosh and it's always kind of difficult to explain to some of my friends here locally that, having put in 12 days working in, at <laughs> at AirVenture, that I'm a little air showed out, yeah. and uh, so I haven't shown up at that for a while. But uh, it's a great event. It's free. Come on down, have a good time, see the angels fly, and uh, hopefully uh, we might see you at uh, at the EAA flying.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like they say, I know what you're talking about, Dave, you know, and it's, they say, uh, uh, what is it, aviation is like sex. It's like uh, you, you can never get all you want, but sometimes you get all you can take. <laughs> yes, that's right. A little bit too much is just enough. That's right. Jeb, anything going on in your world you want to? Oh, I think I uh, you to stick a fork in this one. All right. right. Well, thanks, guys. It's been fun as usual. Jeb is on the web at uh, jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave is on the web at uh, DaveHigdon.com. I am on the web at JackHodgson.com and TechPopuli.net. And you can visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at UncontrolledAirspace.com.
2: Drop in. Drop us a note.
0: That's Give right. us a, a call. There you go. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys, for, uh, for getting together this morning. And we'll talk to you all again next time.